This is the City of Refuge, Thomaston, Georgia, Sunday morning podcast. The following is a live recorded sermon by Pastor Jeff Deal. When failures disappear, that's, um, that's hopefully your testimony. And hopefully it's all of our testimony because failure... Uh, brings shame, failure brings um, regret, brings self-condemnation, but when we cry out to him, he responds with forgiveness, and a hundred billion even failures disappear. Are you aware that every other part of creation except for people, um, every other aspect of creation is obedient to the creator every part of nature every part of his creation is obedient to him except for his highest creation which is people Um, now one would say the rest of creation doesn't have a choice because they don't have the power of decision they don't have the power of rationalization so they're they obey or it obeys by compulsion. And that's true, but still the rest of creation can serve as an example to us. And creation obeys God in a lot of ways, and one of the main ways that creation obeys God is through worship. That's the whole, whole point of that song, is All of creation is glorifying God. All of creation is declaring his holiness. All of creation is bowing itself consistently in honor and in glory to him. And it's our model. It's what, it's the way we should be living. So I'm going to share with you just a few minutes. We'll get out early today. But last Sunday, I sort of in, um, in, um, maybe more of, um, an emotional and and intense way than usual, poured my heart out about um, some things concerning what's going on in the world and in our land and went to the scripture to deal with it. And so after that, you know, I got a little bit of feedback. Somebody said, well, it was very relevant and uh, got some stuff that can help me practically day by day. Somebody said, um, you know, that was the best that they'd heard me um, speak and you know so thank you that's nice compliment somebody else said when are we going to get back to the book of daniel so you know you get all sorts of um of uh comments and and uh feedback uh, you know every week well not every week but sometimes so we'll go back to the book of daniel but we're not and by the way the person who said that's not even here so i guess it matters but We'll go back there to start with, and then we're going to sort of tie it in with what we were talking about last week, because I really didn't even finish last week. I just quit because I was going too long, and we're going to tie it back into that and maybe a little bit of some other stuff. So from the book of Daniel, chapter 1, verses 15 through 17, (coughs) says, at the end of the 10 days, they looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men. Uh, This is after 10 days of going without the king's food, 
by Daniel and his friends, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. So at the end of the 10 days, those four young men looked healthier and better nourished than any of the young men who ate the royal food. So the guard took away their choice food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. To these four young men, God gave knowledge and understanding of all kinds of literature and learning, and Daniel could understand visions and dreams of all kinds. So the lesson from Daniel that we're going to deal with today is the lesson that is most prominent in my life and in my world, in my walk with the Lord, has been for a very long time. I've invested myself in studying on it, in praying about it, in writing on the subject, and in really focusing everything that I am as a man and as a son of God in, into it. And that is this lesson right here. Blessing follows what? Obedience. You know it already. Blessing follows obedience. So, even though we've talked about that over and over and over and dealt with it from a lot of different angles and incorporated it into uh, other things that we were talking about, this is going to be the focus of our conversation here today. Blessing follows obedience. And from Daniel, what we find is young men who were godly young men who were chosen by the Lord for specific work and who were taken captive by the Babylonians as part of the siege that took place where the Babylonians came in under the leadership of King Nebuchadnezzar and overtook Judah and took all of the what you might call quality people as slaves and moved them 400 miles to the east to the nation of Babylon to serve him as slave labor in his kingdom. Daniel and Shadrach and Meshach and Abednego were among the number of people who were taken as slaves back to Babylon. But they are recognized as being smart and capable and talented. They had gifts. They had something to offer. And so Babel, uh, Nebuchadnezzar was a pretty sharp guy. I mean, to be um, someone who was not of God's nation, God's people, someone who was not uh, called by God to do a specific work inside that group of his people. If you consider him just as a secular leader and a, and a king, it shows up here and there that he was actually a pretty sharp guy, pretty smart, pretty uh, well-versed in the skills of leadership. And so he has this plan that he's going to find the best and the brightest, the smartest, the most gifted among those slaves that he has taken, and he's going to bring them into his service to help lead, to help establish systems and structures and protocols for how to operate his kingdom. And these young men qualify for that, and so they go to work in the king's service. But... The person that Nebuchadnezzar has appointed to oversee these guys comes to them and says, part of serving in the king's household and serving in the king's administration is that you get to, you have the privilege of partaking of the king's food and drink. So this is going to be your new way of life, your new um, 
your new diet is going to consist of awesome foods, rich foods, uh, wonderful stuff, you know, and the finest wines and all of that. And Daniel steps up and says, thanks, but no thanks. He's like, what? He said, yeah, we, uh, you know, we as uh, men who serve the one true God are committed to taking care of our bodies according to his instruction. And so we appreciate the offer, but we're not interested in all those great foods that the king has to offer. We're going to stick with our diet of fruits and vegetables and things that are healthy and good for us. Well, at first the God, you know, doesn't really align with that, but Daniel said, just give us some time. And so at the end of 10 days, an experimental period, he said, just give us some time, let's see what happens. Uh, they're brought back in for evaluation, and they are found to look healthier, look better, probably have better skin tone, better color, better everything about them than the other people, right? And so they're obedient. This is, this is the foundational lesson to learn about them. It's not the results that we should look at first. It's not anything that comes later that should be considered first. The first lesson is that they are simply obedient. And then what follows, because obedience is always an if-and-then proposition. Everywhere in Scripture, it's if first and it's then later. There's all, there are always qualifiers. We've talked about the qualifiers before. There are always things that have to happen here before you can expect to get to the goodies over here. It's if and then. The only free gift offered in Scripture is the gift of salvation. Every other gift and every other promise comes with qualifiers. We love to cherry-pick the Scriptures, find those promises, find those offers of blessing, pluck them out off the page, take them out of their context, embrace them, name them, claim them, frame them as ours, and ignore entirely or partially the qualifiers, the ifs, the if you will do this, if you will be obedient to that, then you get to this. Psalm 1, of course, the perfect example. But Daniel and his friends are obedient. And God has established this principle in them and for them and among all his people that if you will walk in obedience, then you will experience my blessing. If you're obedient, you get to the blessings. If you're not obedient, then your life is going to be characterized by cursings. Plain and simple. So it's right there that we're going to leave the Daniel story and we're going to go to Genesis chapter 3. And I want to read this whole chapter to you, but we're going to pause and just kind of walk through it and take a look at a few things together because if we're going to uh, discuss and deal with the subject of obedience, we might as well start at the beginning. 
Now, you need to know that although it starts in Genesis, it goes all the way through the Scripture systematically, one book after the other, for all 66 books, to the very end, the overarching theme of Scripture from beginning to end is the issue of obedience. If you were to go to churches, travel around, interview Christian people, and ask them, what is the overarching theme of the Scripture from beginning to end? You're going to get lots of different answers. And I imagine that obedience is not going to be the most common answer that you get. It's going to be love. Do you expect you would get that answer? Of course. Is love a profound and powerful and necessary part of the God story with humankind? Of course. But it's not the dominant, overarching, primary theme of Scripture. Do you know that in the book of Genesis, from when God first created His children, His highest form of creation, He never one time says, I love you. <laughs> the, the subject of love never comes up. As a matter of fact, throughout the Old Testament, you won't find the subject of love dealt with very much at all. You'll find it here and there. But it is by no means the most dominant, overarching theme of Scripture. When you get to the story of Jesus and we embrace John 3.16 as our foundational Scripture, one verse on which Christianity is built, it says, for God so loved the world, that's why he did what he did. So yes, necessary for salvation. Yes, a powerful theme. Yes, it is in the Scripture as God's plan for us that He loves us enough that He would give His own Son. But if you start in the beginning and go to the end, because in the 22nd chapter, the very last chapter of the entire Bible, you'll find this, that every human being is going to be judged based on what they have done. Done as it relates to what? Done as it relates, of course, to what he's told us to do. Which takes us to what? The theme of obedience. So I can talk about loving God and loving people if I'm not doing what God told me. I invalidate the theme of love. See, this is the power of the theme of obedience is that it has the ability to invalidate every other theme you can find in Scripture. If you interviewed people, you would get the answer, grace. There are some denominations that are built almost exclusively on the theme of grace. But is it the overarching, dominant theme from beginning to end? No. Just read it. Don't take my word for it. Read it. Read every book in the Bible and tell me how many times you come across the theme of obedience and how many times God says to His people, if you obey me, I will bless you, and if you don't, you're going to be cursed. Over and over and over, and still we don't get it. We don't get it, and we don't do it, and that's why we're in the mess that we're in. Genesis Chapter 3, do we have it? Okay. 
Now the serpent was more crafty than any of the wild animals the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God really say you must not eat from any tree in the garden? The woman said to the serpent, we may eat fruit from the trees in the garden, but God did say you must not eat fruit from the tree that is in the middle of the garden and you must not touch it or you will die. We got the next. For God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be open and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining knowledge, she took some and ate it. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate it. And then the eyes of both of them were open, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made, I'm, I'm missing some stuff here, I can't see, made, I guess it says clothes, covering. Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day, and they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to the man, where are you? And he answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? So we'll pause right there. You go back to the first verse, and it says, the serpent was the most crafty. He was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. The way that we are lured into disobedience is through trickery. It's through deception. If someone walked up to you and said, I'd like to invite you over to my house this afternoon, and we're going to go out in the backyard, and I've got a, a little altar built, and we're going to build a fire on top of the altar, and, we're, and I've got a few uh, animals, you know, cats, dogs, frogs, whatever, in some pens back there, and we're going to do a little, some sacrificing. Uh, would you do that? Would you even think about doing that? Would you think they were crazy? Would you, would you uh, call the law? Would you do, you know, we, we, there's no way we would be drawn into that. That's not the way the enemy works. I think, I think all the, the things that have happened in, in the music industry and the entertainment industry through the years that people have become captivated by that are around evil, you know, horror movies are some of the most popular movies there are out there, and the more evil it is, the more people love it, right? And then you have these rock and roll bands that, that dress up a certain way and have demons and 666s on their album covers and they bite their heads off of bats and they, you know, drink blood and whatever, whatever. I've always thought that stuff was just so silly. You know, because to me it's like who is going to be drawn into that because, because, of, because it's really an effective tool of the enemy to get us somewhere. If you have a brain between your ears, you're going to know that all that is is marketing. That sells records. 
If you listen to the honest ones in interviews, they will tell you that we did that because it sells records. The reason that the rock group Kiss dressed up the way they did and put on their makeup and he and his tongue would come out like a like a lizard was because it sells records. That is the least of the ways that the enemy works to trick us. The way he tricks us is the way we're reading right here in Genesis chapter 3. Is that he starts whispering, manipulating, perverting, twisting just a little bit the words and the truths of God until he's got it tainted just enough to draw us off track, to get us offline one degree, and then he's got us right where he wants us. He says to them, Uh, Did God really say for you not to eat of that tree? That's the way he opens the conversation. I think it's a conversation that went on over time. I don't know that for a fact. I can't validate it by Scripture. But I just don't see this as being one 20-minute encounter in the garden on a Thursday afternoon. I think he kept showing up and whispering and talking and convincing and rationalizing and tricking her little by little by little until she finally believed What he was saying, she continued to believe what God was saying. She just mixed in what the enemy was saying as well. Dangerous, dangerous, dangerous recipe for disaster. When we allow, and Tracy and I were talking this week about music, because she's trying to put together a song list for Jay-Z's wedding reception. And it's like, we have compromised so badly when it comes to music. We accept things that no child of God should accept. In a funny kind of a way, you know, I've told y'all the story before about jumping in the car, turning on my radio, and just getting captivated in this song. And then all of a sudden, I'm just like, what am I doing? Because the song is saying, if you think I'm sexy and you want my body, you know, I'm like, what? Kind of a man of God listens to that, no matter how catchy the beat is. Right? Some of the most popular songs in history that have stayed on the top of the charts for weeks and weeks and weeks are awful. Rod Stewart's song, Tonight's the Night. You know what that song's about? It's about a man trying to lure a young virgin girl upstairs so he can take her virginity from her, and we just turn it on and we just sing along with it. Right? The song, when I was 16, 17 years old, was like number one on the charts for 14, 15 weeks. So it's difficult to even put together a song list so we can have fun at a wedding reception because you have to evaluate what is the message of this song because we're committed now. (laughs) Not always, but we are committed to making sure that we don't have anything in there that is contrary to our beliefs and our standing as sons and daughters of the living God. We're not willing to compromise on it anymore. And we pray for God to clean us up and forgive us and 
and make us right and renew our spirit and all that, and we're still listening to garbage. We're still watching garbage. We're still entertaining garbage. We're still chuckling when somebody tells that uh, off-color or dirty joke around us. We're not going to fully engage in it, but we're going to chuckle a little bit because we're going to look like the holier-than-thou if we don't. Which, well, you know what? We ought to look like the holier-than-thou if that's what it comes to. just mixing it up a little bit, just polluting the recipe a little bit, just twisting and perverting it just a little bit, just get us off one degree. And you know that if you're, you're, you take off uh, walking or running in a direction and you have a goal down the road there, that if you um, are off one degree, right or left from what your target is, that by the time you go 10 miles, you're going to be one mile off of your target if you are off one degree. If you go 100 miles, you're going to be 10 miles away from your target by the time you get there. It doesn't work like that. We listen to the words of God. We obey the words of God. So the enemy goes on to say, the serpent goes on to say, that God is somewhat right. You know, she answers him and he says, he says, but you will not surely die. You know, what's going to happen? And he didn't really mean it like that. You know, you don't need to take things so literally. You know what? I think we would do ourselves a big favor these days if we would take more of what God says very literally. Especially when he says, if you obey me, I'll bless you. And if you don't, you're going to live under a curse. We probably need to take that very literally more now than ever before. He says, you will not surely die, but what's going to happen is you're going to grow in your understanding. You're going to get more knowledge. God knows when you eat it, your eyes are going to be open. Doesn't that sound attractive? You're going to be like God. You're going to know good and evil. You're going to know that you're going to know that some of the things that God knows that you don't know now. Isn't that attractive? Doesn't that, doesn't that sound like somewhere you'd like to go to? Somewhere you'd like to be? Help God do his job. You know, when when it talks about the serpent being crafty. And every part of God's creation has its role. And every part is still serving a role. And we as people, because of our disobedience, we dislodge and, and, and relocate and disassociate certain parts of God's creation for our own benefit. And it th- throws things out of whack. Because every, every part has, every element has its part in God's perfect function for the universe. And the fact that things are out of balance and the fact that things are wrong is because starting with Eve and Adam, man started to choose disobedience. And so, let's go on down from here. She took some, ate it, she gave some to her husband, he ate it, then both of them, uh, the, the eyes of both of them were open, they realized they were naked, 
They sewed fig leaves together and, got, and made gatherings for themselves, but the man and his wife heard the sound. You know what happens when we choose disobedience? All of a sudden, all of these things that up until this point for them they had never experienced before started to come in. They had to start to deal with things like shame. They had to deal with self-condemnation. They had to deal with, bottom line, the results of sin. You see, they were dealing with the results of sin before God ever expelled them from the garden. Because right here, they're dealing with the issue of shame. Well, all of a sudden, I'm not supposed to be naked. All of a sudden, there's something that doesn't seem right about this. Because once we choose obedience then there are things about God's perfect plan that all of a sudden are not going to seem good enough. we got to fix it. We have entered into a pattern of trying to fix God's plan, trying to help God do His job. Listen, Genesis is not the last spot where people attempted to help God do His job. We're still doing it right now. We're trying to help God do His job. We're taking on God roles and God responsibilities. You know, we have this thing at City of Refuge, and it's common in the corporate world called RRE. It's roles, responsibilities, and expectations. Roles, responsibilities, and expectations. And when you are hired there, we go over the RREs for your position. You know what your role is. You know what the responsibilities are that are attached to that role, and you know what the expectations are from your supervisor. We're going to give you the resources to do what we're asking you to do, but you have to know what your role is, what the responsibilities are, and what the expectations are. And in the kingdom, what we've done is we have taken on roles that are not ours to take. If you don't believe that, leave here, jump on Facebook, start looking at all your Christian friends, what a lot of them have to say about things going on in the world, about other people, about other opinions, about ideologies, philosophies. You will find that all of a sudden you've got a bunch of Christian people that have taken on the role of judge, have taken on the role of qualifying who's a child of God and who's not. That's not our job. It's not our job to save people. It's not our job to sanctify people. It's not our job to judge people. It's not our job to take life, end life. That's not our job. We've jumped over into areas in life that are just not ours to try to manage. That's why everything is chaotic and in an upheaval. It's because people are trying to do God work. It doesn't work. The results are always disastrous because when we choose a path of disobedience, we're guaranteed to live under a curse. So the Lord calls to him and says, where are you? Let's move on to the next. He answered, I heard you in the garden. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree that I commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, the woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And then the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me, and I ate. At this point, I want to bounce over to Genesis chapter 2. 
verses 16 and 17 real quick and, and insert this. And the Lord God commanded the man. You notice that? And why is that? It's because the woman has not been created yet. I paid no attention to this ever until this week. That God had created Adam. He had placed him in the garden. And he had told him about the trees. And he said, you are to, free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For when you eat from it, you will die. Before Eve was ever in existence, God had instructed Adam concerning the trees. If you were here last week, and you remember what I talked about last week, and I made some pretty bold declarations, I said, I do not believe that systemic racism is the problem. I believe it is a problem, but it is not the foundational problem. I said that I do not believe police brutality is the problem. It is a problem, but it is not the foundational problem from which these other problems grow up as if it's the root. Neither of those are the root. I don't believe that anything that's being discussed in politics is the problem. We have lots of problems that are growing out of the root, like branches, like stems, like limbs. But we have yet to really take a deep dive and figure out what is the root, what is the real problem. And I touched on this barely last week, and, and like I said, I didn't finish. That the bottom line problem, the root, is that we have cast God and His ways and His words aside. And we have chosen our own way instead of His way. We have chosen to present ourselves at the center as Lord of our own lives and pushed him out at least as a resource that we might call on as needed and at worst pushed him out altogether and said he doesn't exist. That's our root problem. And I'll tell you what I believe that I didn't share last week is the most prominent and first branch growing up out of that root as perhaps the chief problem after the root problem and that is that we have decided that it would be a good idea to start writing new definitions on godly institutions that he designed and he ordained and he anointed and that he has never changed, but we have decided that we have the authority and the ability to change them. We could talk all day long about this right here. 
that God said to the man before he ever had a wife, a partner, a helpmate in his life, God gave him instruction. Why? Because he is the leader. He is going to be the head of the family. He is going to be the head of the home. He's going to be the husband. He's going to be the father. He's going to be the grandfather. He's going to be the ancestor after which all these other people come. And God deals with him on a personal level as his first created son and says, here, listen to me. This is vital important. You are going to be the head of a very, very profound and important institution that I'm going to establish called the family, and it is your job to lead your family in obedience to the things that I'm telling you. And then he creates a partner, a helpmate, a wife for him, and the enemy starts to attack her. The enemy doesn't go to the man who has had personal face-to-face -face instruction from God. You see, the instruction that Eve got was from Adam. The instruction that Adam got was straight from God. And he went to her. You ever consider that? You ever think about why? Why did the enemy attack Eve's mind? You know, the New Testament talks about uh, weak-willed women who are blown about by every wind of doctrine. I don't think that's what we're talking about here. I don't see, uh, there are some weak-willed women, but I've known a whole lot of weak-willed men who are blown about by a lot of different things. I don't think that's the point. I don't think that it's that Eve was weak and vulnerable. And I think that it was that Adam started to abdicate his role and allow his wife to move around and to listen to other voices. Something out of order foundationally in all of that. And she's listening to this whispering. It's another reason why I think it happened over time. And she becomes, she's broken down and broken down and broken down until finally she consents to the temptation and she eats. And then she convinces Adam, this is good food. And he eats too. Where does it lead us to? That's not an isolated situation. We can't leave it standing there by itself. Where does it lead us to? It leads us to what I see as the number one branch, this ugly, gnarly branch growing up out of the root, which is that we have tried to redesign God's order for family. Family. Fathers, mothers, children, living according to God's design, listening to His words and watching His model and doing it that way. Hey, how many of you know a grandparent that's raising one of their kids' children. <laughs> How many of us don't know? Nobody. Right? Because the parent is in jail or in addiction recovery or in addiction or is just irresponsible 
producing children they had no business producing because they cannot provide for them. They have no intention to prepare them for the future. They're not protecting them from any arrows that the enemy's launching at them in life. And so a, a, a grandparent who's already had to work very hard and invest in raising their own kid now has to raise their kid's kid. Do I sound aggravated? My entire vocational world, my job is wrapped around that issue right there. That along with men who want to produce children but then don't, don't want to be a man after the child has gotten here. They don't want to do the three P's that we talked about last week. They don't want to prepare that child for the future. Oh, that's hard work. It wasn't hard work to, to do what it did to get the baby here. That was easy. Matter of fact, that was fun. But what about the hard work now of working to prepare that child for the future, of, of gathering those right materials, of straightening things and balancing things and pouring into them what they're going to need to face everything that's going on in this world. What about that? We need to be screaming this message. We, we need to stop being afraid to talk about it. Because if we're not willing to get down to what the root is and the chief branches coming out of that root, we're just wasting time. Right? What are our problems? Why do we have systemic racism? Why do we have crime and violence? Why do we have these things? We have it because of the breakdown of the family. That's why we have it. All of these things are the result of the breakdown of the family. So that our efforts to redesign and reform and redo everything, re, you know, write new definitions to godly institutions, I say all the time, there are so many things in the kingdom and in, in our relationship with God that are flexible. And there are a handful that are absolute. And you don't touch the absolutes. If you touch the absolutes, if you manipulate, if you pervert the absolutes, you are going to live under curses the things that we're seeing happen mind-boggling it is beyond my ability to wrap my uh, my mind around the fact that a police officer with video cameras in his face and people telling him you're not doing the right thing would put pressure on a man's neck and back until he is dead and keep it there for two minutes after he's dead. I can't get a hold of that. Nor can I get a hold of the idea that to go burn stuff down and turn stuff over and tear stuff up is going to help the problem. I can't get that either. Nor can my mind wrap around people saying, let's defund and do away with law enforcement. What? <laughs> Are you kidding? We really want to open the door and invite complete anarchy and chaos and criminals running free to do whatever they want to do, and we can't pick up the phone and dial 911 and expect anybody to respond. That's what we're asking for. How do we get to these places? How do we get to people who are 
college educated going into cities and taking over sections and building fences around it and saying no police allowed and no nobody allowed we're in here to to make a statement and, and we're we're gonna this is our this is our place now we're gonna run it like we want to well that's turning out well you know what you know what this kind of stuff right here leads to if you let it have its head if you give it its reign we don't want to go where it leads. I guarantee you that. We don't want to go there. Anybody who wants to know what that's like, get on a plane and go to Somalia. Get out and walk around the streets. You won't walk around but about 15 minutes before you're either robbed and beaten in a ditch or dead because they don't have law enforcement that does anything to enforce the law. Everybody's poor when you decide that you want to do away with important institutions, everybody. It's not that these come up to here and these come down to here and we're all good to go. No, it's like everybody comes down here when you start to destroy important institutions. How? There's a level of blindness that is unprecedented in the history of mankind. Complete and utter blindness says that, that is the only way you can describe it when people come to the point that they are behaving this way what's the root the root is that we've chosen disobedience we've pushed God out we've decided we're smart enough and strong enough to manage it ourselves and then the chief branch in my opinion you could argue it others could argue it is the breakdown of family the breakdown of family you cannot study the scripture and conclude that family looks any way other than the God way I gotta finish up I was reading Deuteronomy 28 this week because Deuteronomy 28 is probably from verse 1 to the last verse, the most powerful exhortation concerning obedience in the Scripture. This is Moses giving his farewell speech, this powerful sermon on the plains of Moab. And he knows he's about to die. He's not going in to the promised land. He's going to die, and they're going to bury him before they go in. And so he's telling the people, here's what's important as you face this new journey, this new experience in life. He's talking to people who should know it already. They were in captivity in Egypt because of disobedience. They were set free under his leadership. And all through their wilderness experience, they realized the impact of obedience versus disobedience. And they turned a journey that should have taken less than a month to get from where they were into the promised land into 40 years of wandering around in circles. Why? 
because they continued to choose the path of disobedience. If you live in disobedience, you will live under the curse. They would be blessed by God, provided for by God, miraculous food dropping out of the sky, shoes and clothes not wearing out, deliverance from all sorts of things, and the next morning they'd be grumbling and complaining and choosing their own way over his. So they lived under a curse for 40 years. And now they've gotten to the edge of the promised land. They can see it off in the distance. And Moses stands on the plains of Moab and gives this powerful sermon. And Deuteronomy 28 culminates it with this dissertation on obedience. And he walks through it very specific about what it looks like for them. But the lesson carries over to us. Our results will look different than theirs because it's a different culture, it's a different time, the world is different. But foundationally, it's still the same. And here's what struck me as I read it this week. There are 68 verses in the 28th chapter of Deuteronomy. The first 14 deal with obedience and how blessings follow obedience. 14 verses, blessings follow obedience. And he outlines it for him. If you obey, here's what's going to happen. If you pay attention to my word and do what I say, here's what's going to happen. And the results are powerful, they're positive, they're rewarding. So do you know what the balance of the chapter? 54 verses describe the curses that will follow disobedience. And I thought, either Moses got these words straight from God, or he just had some sort of a discernment that these people, although I'm out here bellowing and giving them my heart, they're just not going to do it. He must have known how much of their lives and all lives that would follow and our lives today were going to be characterized by disobedience. One-fourth of his dissertation on obedience and disobedience is dedicated to obedience and the results, and three-fourths is dedicated to disobedience and the curses that will follow. He must have known that our lives, as we would look back on Deuteronomy 28 today, would be so much more characterized by disobedience than they are obedience that we would need to hear over and over and over in so many different ways and in vivid description what a life of disobedience is going to look like. And I'm not talking about us in the room. I think we are committed to obedience, but I'm talking about us as the human race. So, we have to live in the world we're in, right? We have to deal with things that are going on. 
I don't know about you, but sometimes I just kind of shrug my shoulders and say, what am I supposed to do? <laughs> what can I do that's going to change anything? What can, you know, what can I do that's going to help? Is it possible now to even turn the corner on this thing? Are we so far into it, so far gone? You know, you have thoughts like, what, what's the turnaround in some of these cities? What's, what has to happen? Is it going to be that the National Guard just has to go in and by force deal with people? People, you know, what, Kent State back in 1972 or whatever, National Guard was called in because some college students were protested, and I think, what, three students were killed? That's tragic. But imagine, we're still talking about it. That's how big of a deal it is if you come to situations in your country where you have to call in the military to deal with people. It's something we, we don't want to go there. We really don't want to go there. I hope we don't go there. We may end up having to go there. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't think they're going to sit around and wait for entire cities to be overrun by criminals and taken over by anarchists. Don't want to see that either. But because you know, I mean, I just have to throw this in. You know that, that, that a lot of the folks that are, that are committing acts of violence and looting and burning, they're not really protesting what they see as injustice. They're just taking advantage of a situation where they can do, go do the evil that's in their heart anyway. You know, because you have to know that, you have to know, the lady that burned down the Wendy's in Atlanta after Mr. Brooks was killed, um, she was arrested, and evidently she was his girlfriend. And so that now they're, cry, they're screaming for them to drop the charges and let her go. What? So now we're at the point where we think that if you commit crimes, crimes that destroy other people's property and potentially could have killed somebody had there been somebody in the building, that we're supposed to just drop it and let, it, let them out? Uh, because of other feelings we have about other things? See, we've got to keep clear heads, clear vision, be very prayerful through all of these things. And I know you wonder like I do, what are we supposed to do? Can we, you know, what's going to happen? Is it too far gone? Is there any, you know, all we can do is this, y'all. This is all we can do. And there's only a few of us in here this morning, just you and me. All we can do is continue to do what's right, no matter what everybody else is doing that's wrong, to speak the truth, to pay attention to the words of God, to do what we hear him saying for us to do, to follow his model, to love the Lord and to love people. You know, he did say, by this they'll know that you're mine if you love. Love, love. So the people that are doing wrong, that are retaliating the wrong way, are the ones that did things wrong originally. We love them. We love them. We pray for them. But at the same time, we speak the truth. We model the truth. We walk in obedience. We know that in our individual lives, even though it seems like we can't control anything as a nation, in our individual lives, we know that his blessings come to us when we choose a path of obedience. And when we choose disobedience, we're going to live under the curse. We continue to demonstrate, you know, acts of kindness, random acts of kindness, random acts of love, one thing I despise doing, it's just tedious to me, I just don't like to do it, is to sit down and write handwritten notes, cards to people. You know, when I buy somebody a birthday card, um, 
you know, what it's going to say at the bottom after the script that's already there. My part of it's going to say Jeff. That's because I, I just, you know, it's just, I don't know, trying to think of stuff to say. Last week, I intentionally sat down and wrote a grand total of two handwritten cards and sent them to people. It required some sacrifice for me, you know, the time, and I just don't like to do it. But I knew two people that I thought would be blessed by it, so I did it. Just do good. Love people. It's not going to help us to sit back and return hate for hate, is it? not going to do us any good to be negative all the time. It's not going to do us any good to jump into the quagmire of social media back and forth stuff. That's not going to help. It's just not. Sucks up our energy. Takes time. We could be doing good stuff. We are the church. And you know that the church is next on the list, right? It's already happening. It's already happening. You've got, you got governors and mayors that are okay with demonstrations with tens of thousands of people in the streets shoulder to shoulder, but they're not okay with people going back to church. That's a problem. And that problem is going to lead, lead, lead to other stuff. The church is under attack. The church is going to come under more intense attack than it is now. We have to be steady, strong, faithful, loving, giving, caring, benevolent, compassionate, at the same time, speak the truth and walk in obedience. Father, you are good and your word is good and it's powerful and it's quick and it cuts us up in ways that we need to be cut up and it, it plants seeds in us that we need to grow there. I thank you for revealing your heart a little bit more to us today. I thank you for your people who are committed to obedience and I thank you for the blessings that follow that. I pray for each one who's here and for our family members who are not here, that our commitment would be renewed every morning and that your grace and your power would show up, that we can be and do all that you've created us to be and do. I pray for the sick today. I pray for those who have needs in their lives. For uh, Ms. Shirley Wheelis, we continue to hold her up before you to ask that the comfort of your Holy Spirit and his peace would be her constant friend and that you would touch her physically in a profound way. I pray for Ms. Trellis today as she had surgery last week that you would just um, bless her, that the Holy Spirit would just be her constant friend, that you would give her a quick and speedy recovery. We just pray for others who are not able to be with us or those who are in nursing homes or hospitals who are struggling, um, that you would just do your work, do God work, work that we can't do in their lives. We play, pray for provision of finances for those who are struggling in that area, for healing and relationships. And in all ways that as we commit ourselves to your design and your structure for us, that you would bless us according to your divine purpose. We love you. We give you thanks in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you all for being here. I hope you have a great Sunday.